Welcome to a special Christmas edition of the Robert J. Morgan Podcast. For many years, Rob has written a fictional short story to read aloud during the Christmas Eve service for the Donaldson Fellowship Church, where he pastors in Nashville, Tennessee. A collection of these stories were made into a book entitled 12 Stories of Christmas. On this Christmas week, Rob will be reading a story entitled Gabriel's Cry. We trust you'll enjoy this story and hope you'll share it with friends and loved ones. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. And the story is called Gabriel's Cry. The Virgin Mary sat on the edge of a stone wall near the ancient well of Nazareth. Looking into Gabriel's face, she studied his expression. I have news for you, Gabriel, angel of God, she told him. Good tidings of great joy. A baby is on the way, and you're going to be a father. Hearing those words, Gabriel's dark eyes widened, and throwing up his hands, he opened his mouth and gave a great cry. It had started on a drizzly evening the previous year, when Emma Snyder had inserted her key into the back door of the East Side Tabernacle in New York City. The church set across from Tompkins Square in Alphabet City, which is the only part of Manhattan that has lettered streets instead of numbered ones. This section of town is neither rich nor poor, neither safe nor dangerous, neither black nor white nor brown. It is vintage melting pot and Emma liked it here. She played the piano at the tabernacle each Sunday. And although it was only August, she was already preparing for the scheduled Christmas concert. Hitting a switch on the wall, Emma delivered a single pool of light around the instrument. Her fingers bore down on the keys, sending determined chords echoing off the walls and evaporating into the dark timbers of the old wooden ceiling. She reveled in the majestic notes of Handel's Messiah with the words bouncing in her head, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. As the last strains faded into the rafters, Emma was startled to hear a single set of hands clapping. Whirling around, she saw the silhouette of someone sitting cross-legged halfway down the aisle. Don't be afraid, said the voice, seeing her alarm. I'm harmless. I was just listening. Your music is so beautiful, I would pay to hear it. Who are you? Emma asked tensely. I'm Andy, the young man said. Don't worry. I was just listening. I love the piano. Andy who? asked Emma. Andy Melendez. What are you doing here, Andy Melendez? Well, I sleep here. No, said Emma, sharply, apprehensively. Not always, just sometimes. The pews are padded. You don't have a key. Well, I don't need a key. Are you homeless? No, said Andy. I have a mother who lives in Brooklyn. I stay with her whenever I want. He paused, then continued. You know, Mr. George Friedrich Handel would be downright pleased to hear his notes coming from your piano. How did you get in here? asked Emma. It's not easy to, to reduce Handel like that. 
Is that your own arrangement? Yes. Reductions are tricky. You managed to compress the whole spirit of Handel's orchestration into 88 keys and 10 fingers. It was marvelous. I've been working on it, said Emma. What are you doing here? How did you get in? Andy, still cross-legged in the aisle, shrugged. I learned things growing up, he said. I can get in, I can get out, and uh, I guess I should be going. But take it from me, a little more practice, and I'll be listening to you one day at Lincoln Center. His voice was shy and soft and friendly, and before Emma could say anything else, Andy was on his feet and at the front door. Emma thought long and hard about reporting Andy, but she was somehow touched by his affable manner. His knowledge of music intrigued her, and his compliments didn't hurt either. Perhaps she would have been uneasy when she returned to the church two nights later for her regular practice, but somehow she didn't feel that way. Truth be told, she was a little disappointed when there was no sound of clapping hands as she finished her next rehearsal night. Nor was Andy there the next week, or the next. Emma had given up on seeing him again, and truly she didn't know whether she was relieved or disappointed. But one night a month later, as she sat at the piano, she sensed she wasn't alone. Andy? She called. Yes, came a gentle voice from the darkened room. Mind if I listen? Don't be alarmed. I'm harmless. I've never hurt a soul. I just want to sit here on the floor and let your music lift my spirits. Do your spirits need lifting? Asked Emma. Yes, they do. Emma started playing, and she played as though at Lincoln Center. When she finished, he applauded and thanked her, and this time he didn't leave, but Emma did. Feeling a flicker of fear, she quickly rose from the bench and slipped through the rear door, turning off the light behind her. Still, she couldn't keep a slender smile off her face. Over the next two months, Andy was more likely to be in the church than not. Before and after practice, they chatted across the room, Andy sitting cross-legged on the dark aisle and Emma on the stage in the spotlight. Andy never stepped onto the stage and Emma never stepped off of it. And that is how they dated. Emma learned that Andy's mother was a woman of questionable reputation in Brooklyn. Andy had never known the sailor who had fathered him, and he had grown up knowing how to hide and how to stay out of the way, and he was good at it. She learned that he often slept in Tompkins Square or in Central Park. He knew how to camouflage himself like an army ranger he knew how to evade the police by sleeping among the tree branches in a thin nylon hammock. Occasionally, he even spiderwebbed himself to the tops of trees like a mountain climber sleeping against the cliffs. One evening, Emma asked what he did for a living. Well, I'm a carpenter, he replied. I remodel apartments in the Upper East Side. I think I'm pretty good at it. They talked about his work, and Andy perked up as he described the projects he was working on and the craftsmanship that he put into his work. Then Emma wanted to know what Andy did for fun, how he spent his weekends. I hang around the east side, he said, sometimes in the village or 
maybe in Brooklyn, listening to jazz bands. Whenever I can, I take in a concert at Lincoln Center. I like that stuff, too. Before she could stop herself, Emma asked a question she instantly regretted. Why don't we hang out on Saturday, she said. It'd be fun to spend the day together visiting the parks and listening to music. It was as though she had taken a step too far. Andy looked down, fidgeted, shrugged, and seemed at a loss. Finally, he spoke so softly that Emma had to strain to hear him. Well, Emma, he said, you know, I really don't have very much to offer you. It's fun talking to you. I love listening when you practice, but we're different people. I'm pretty ragged. That's what my mother always told me. She calls me Raggedy Andy. I drift about, sleeping wherever I can. I don't have a roof over my head. Sometimes I'm hungry. Sometimes I'm thirsty. I've been beaten up in the streets. I've been teased and taunted all my life. I really don't worry about it, but people don't understand me, and I don't blame them. I'm even a mystery to me. I don't know what I believe or who. I don't know where I live or why. And you're too good for that. Unfolding his legs and gripping the edge of the pew, he rose to his feet and lumbered toward the door. Andy, said Emma, wait a minute. Don't go. I don't think you're ragged at all. I like being with you. I enjoy talking with you very much. You're an unusual person. You're a conundrum. A what? A puzzle, she said. But you're a gentle puzzle. You must believe in yourself. I can tell you do. You must believe in something. Well, no, he said, reaching the door. I don't. I feel hopeless, but in a happy sort of way. Andy, you have lots of hope inside of you. My goodness, you're in church more than I am. You sleep here sometimes. You could sleep anywhere. You could camp out in some of those apartments you're remodeling, but you like sleeping under God's stars and sleeping in God's house. Doesn't that tell you something? Andy, his hand on the door, said nothing. Emma continued, I know from my practice session that churches are mysterious places at night. I feel a strange presence in this empty room at night when I'm practicing the piano. I'm not talking about your presence, though I've learned to sense that too. I know when you're here. But I'm talking about God's presence. I feel it every time I play Handel and think of those words, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Andy half shrugged glanced a final time at Emma and pushed against the door. Will you at least come to the concert, shouted Emma. After my part of the program, the pastor is going to talk about Christmas. But the door was already closing behind the shy, elusive young man. He was gone, and there were no more Andy sightings after that. Emma had never experienced such a long and lonely December. New York was unusually cold that year, and she found it hard entering the sparsely heated church night after night to practice, but she persevered, and finally the evening came for the Christmas service. Shifting nervously on the piano, Emma looked across the audience, hoping to see Andy, but the glow of the floodlights obscured her view. All she knew was that there was no one sitting cross-legged in the aisles. 
When she finished her recital, the applause thundered through the room. Then Emma's elderly pastor rose to finish the night with a homily about the birth of Christ. He tapped the microphone, <clears throat> cleared his throat, and he said, The babe of Bethlehem, whose birth we celebrate, is the conundrum of history, a puzzle, a problem, a prince whose crib was a manger and whose genealogy was stained with men and women of questionable reputation. As a child, he was teased by those questioning the legitimacy of his birth. As a youth, he was taunted by brothers who doubted his mission. As a man, he bore the scorn of those seeking his destruction. Yet the power of his presence astonished the masses, and they said of him, What manner of man is this? He was a working man, a ragged carpenter, with neither a roof above his head nor a pillow beneath it, sleeping under the stars or in borrowed beds. His robe was a blanket, his nightlight the moon. For 36 months, he drifted about doing good and telling stories. He never hurt a soul. He healed the sick, taught the masses, fed the hungry, walked across the seas, and preached the good news. Wherever he went, the miraculous broke out at weddings, at funeral, on the land and on the lake, on the mountainside, and in the city streets. He became the help of the helpless and the hope of the hopeless. He turned water into wine, and with bread and fish, he fed a multitude. Yet he himself was sometimes hungry, and at his death, he cried out in thirst. He is mystery in every way, obscure in birth, humble in youth, hardworking in life, flawless in character, gentle and spirit, yet hated, rejected, beaten, and crucified, though his condemner said, I find no fault in him, and his executioner said, surely this was the Son of God. He was buried in a donated mausoleum, yet his tomb, guarded by Roman soldiers, was opened by heavenly agents and found empty. And for 2,000 years, we can say that all the angels of heaven, all the demons of hell, all the stars in the sky, and all the men of the earth have never understood the influence of this gentle child in swaddling clothes who is laid in a manger with no crib for a bed, our Lord Jesus Christ. The church was silent as flickering candles cast haunting shadows against the walls. The old man's words sank into the hearts of the worshipers. Then the silence was broken by a single set of hands clapping. Well, things moved quickly after that. Andy and Emma were married in February. And by early December, they were heavily involved in the next Christmas pageant at the Tabernacle, which this year was to be a Christmas play. Emma was chosen to play Mary. Andy, of course, was happier out of sight behind the scenes. He built the sets, the stone wall by the well of Nazareth, the little town of Bethlehem, and the manger in a cave. He was particularly proud of his manger, for it was secure enough 
to actually serve as a cradle. The only problem occurred at the dress rehearsal when the man playing the part of Gabriel had clients show up unexpectedly at his brokerage firm. At first, Andy didn't want to step in, but at the last moment he was compelled to dress up like Gabriel as a stand-in at the rehearsal. And that's when Emma decided to break the news. To everyone's amusement, she turned the tables on the dark-haired angel. I have news for you, Gabriel, angel of God, she told him. Good tidings of great joy. A baby is on the way, and you're going to be a father. Hearing those words, Gabriel's dark eyes widened, and throwing up his hands, he opened his mouth and gave a great cry. The little boy arrived right on time the following August. He was born exactly on the second anniversary of that strange night when Emma had sat in a pool of light and played for unto us a child is born unaware of her silent listener. The baby was plump and healthy and there was no question about his name. He was called Gabriel Andrew Melendez. Andy rummaged through the basement of their apartment building and hauled out the manger he'd so carefully crafted the previous December. Bringing the child home, they placed him within its narrow confines wrapped in a snuggling blanket. Gabriel in a manger, Emma said as they peered down at the sun. Now that's a twist in the story. Andy laughed. Yeah, he said, I like that. Gabriel in the manger. It's sort of like, well, the Christmas story all mixed up. He leaned over the crib and jostled his son's belly. What do you think of that, Gabe, he said. You're a conundrum, just like your dad. And at that, Gabriel's little eyes widened, and throwing up his hands, he opened his mouth and gave a great cry. And that's the story of Gabriel's cry. And so from the depths of my heart, I just want to wish you and all of yours, wherever you are, a very heartfelt and blessed Merry Christmas.